as I said, we're in this series of letters that Peter writes last week. Uh, Thad really helped us really powerfully as Peter began to look at the role of suffering. And, and Thad made this statement last week that you can see the boldness of our lives for Jesus is only as great as our willingness to suffer for him. And so we got into kind of this discussion or this look at suffering. And, and if you think about it this way, uh, this is how we try to live today, isn't it? Pain-free. Don't we all not want to live with suffering or difficulty? I mean, it's interesting. I don't know how many of you uh, have done any kind of Enneagram. There's all sorts of personality types, but Enneagram is one. It has nine of them. I, I'm confessing I happen to be a seven on the Enneagram. And guess what? You're, you're, they always have a, an area you hide from, and mine is pain. So as pain goes and hiding from it, I am the poster child for not wanting pain. It is my personality type. I'd like to say it's the way I'm wired. That's not a good thing. It just is a real thing. And so for me, even if it's something I'm uncomfortable with, there are parts of movies I don't want to watch. When someone else is embarrassed publicly, I hate it, unless I happen to be the one embarrassing them. I mean, pain is really hard for me. And I don't think I'm alone. In fact, if you were to look at our culture, we would say we think the best way of life is pain-free. We seek to be as comfortable and as free of difficulty as we can be. We medicate pain. We find ways around pain. We seek all that we can to have comfort. Now, last week, Thad helped us look at activity, how we can, in an actionable way, address and deal with suffering. This week, as we look at Peter's writings, we're going to look a little more underneath the hood at theologically and kind of philosophically, what do we believe about suffering? And so to help us with that, before we even get into the passage, I want to tell you about an individual. His name is Paul Brand. Paul was a physician, spent his career not only on the mission field, but specifically spent his career working with patients that had leprosy. Now, we'll come back to what specific is about leprosy and why that is very directly approachable and why we should think about it. But what Paul began to discover was the significant role pain plays in the life of every human being, just physically. So he writes this as he begins to process all that he understands and looked at the entire, just the body and the way we're created. And he says this, that theologians blithely attribute pain to the fall. In other words, we all think that pain only comes because of sin, that it would be pain-free. And yet what he notices is the body itself is a marvelously designed pain system. It features unbelievable receptors to pain. And he begins to describe it. He says this, Every square millimeter of the body has a different sensitivity to pain, so that a speck of dirt may cause excruciating pain in the vulnerable eye, whereas it would go unreported in the tough extremities. Internal organs, such as bowels and kidneys, have no receptors that warn them against cutting or burning, dangers they normally don't face but they show exquisite sensitivity to distension. When organs such as the heart detect danger but lack receptors, they borrow others' pain cells, and that's where we get referred pain, which is why heart attack victims often report pain in the shoulder or the arm. The pain system automatically ramps up hypersensitivity to protect an injured part, which is explaining why a sore thumb always seems in the way. And it also turns the volume down in the face of emergencies. 
For example, soldiers often report no pain from a wound in the course of battle, but afterwards they suddenly notice it. And we have the same thing. When we have pain and we're in the midst of crisis, we run through and we notice it later. Are you beginning to see how God's wired our bodies? Pain serves us sublimely as well, he says. Sensors make us blink every several times a minute to lubricate our eyes, and we actually shift our legs and our buttocks to prevent pressure sores. Pain is the most effective language the body can use to draw attention to something important. I want you to hear that again. Pain is the most effective language the body can use to draw attention to something important. I mean, if you just look at the physical world and the way we're made, in other words, suffering and pain play a very important role in life. Now, let me take it back to his research because he began to work with leprosy victims. In case you don't know, we we attribute leprosy to the body falling apart. What leprosy does is it disassembles the nerve responses. It makes people not feel things. What causes the body to fall apart is what follows. So when he was researching, he began to even just take, because feet were one of the extremities that they found the, began to disassemble, began to decompose, began to have difficulty. Well, what he did was he began to research the nature of what happens at a foot when it gets stressed. So he basically would have these people walk for eight miles. Now, in case you don't know, when you begin to put any kind of pressure on the body, it heats up. So the big toe would heat up in particularly. Now, what happens over time is it heats up is somehow your body tells You don't think about it, but your body begins to move to the other feet, the other part of the toes, to compensate for the pain that's in the the big toe. And pretty soon the other toes heat up because they play a bigger role as this part becomes inflamed. Do you see how the pain moves to different places to protect the body? When someone has leprosy, its body doesn't tell it to do those things. And all that pressure keeps getting worse and worse and worse and destroys the body. Paul began to give an understanding that people didn't like but was true, which is that pain is a gift no one wants, but it's an incredibly important, vital part of life. Now, I'm assuming you're all just pumped to hear this with me today. You're like, I am so glad that we got up today and we went to church. I I didn't even need the caffeine. You're going to talk about pain? Yes! Sweet! It's not true, is it? But my hope today is it might shift for us how we begin to embrace and perceive pain and suffering differently. So with that, we're going to look at Peter's writing to us. He'd already spoken somewhat about it. Now he's going to get into a deeper trajectory and speak about pain. Now, I want to qualify this, and maybe I'm more aware of it because of this last week. I sat with a family through horrible tragedy I am not qualifying tragedies as to be part of what he's speaking about here. Tragedy is something that God meets us in and comforts us in the midst of pain. But we're talking about the role of suffering and even a redemptive role in it of circumstances that happen in life in general. So I want to kind of set on the shelf these horrific tragedies because unfortunately the church tends to go, well, that's just God ordained that. And it's a horrific thing that requires a whole other conversation. So we're going to look at it more broadly. Here Peter writes. He says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come to you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Now, if you just read it on a kind of a cursory reading, it's clear to us already. What he's saying is 
you should expect suffering is part of life. In fact, I'll take it a little bit further. Suffering is central to the Christian story. You, you need to understand that suffering is a part of following Jesus. Suffering is an embraced part of life. It's not simply a necessary evil that we do in order to, but it's a part we respond to and receive. And you can just take the body and go, we're wired up to respond to pain. It just means we need to address when there's suffering, not medicate from it or hide from it. Now, he gives a very clear directive in this through the language of Scripture. When he says a fiery ordeal, it would hearken us back to the Hebrew Scriptures. The same word that's used here for fiery ordeal is the word that's used to describe a refining process. In Proverbs, for example, it says the crucible for silver and the furnace for gold. And then it speaks of how God tests us, that he transforms us through the same process. If you think of a, a furnace, what it does with gold is it burns at such a level the gold's liquefied, and that which is not good can be siphoned off so that that which is good becomes more pure. And that's why it says testing us. It's not meaning finding out. It's meaning helping us to refine and be changed. As followers of Jesus, we believe God gives us his spirit to actually mature us and grow us in the ways of Jesus. And he's saying this is how it happens. It's not something strange, it's normative. So, so just consider it as, as parents, for those of you who are, but we can all think about it in this lifetime. We tend in our culture to want the road we're on to be like the yellow brick road. Follow the yellow brick road. Or in a more manly way, follow the yellow brick road. We want the road to be clean, clear, and without barricade. We do a lot for those we love around us to try and make it without any barriers or difficulties. That is not the way of God. In fact, if you think of it, we do everything we can to clear the path instead of doing everything we can to help people navigate the barriers, the difficulties, the detours, and the problems in the path. I hope you're beginning to get a picture because a theology of suffering means we understand those difficulties are meant to be part of life. Those pains that we run into signal something to us to transform us. Those pains call us to get God's help. Those very pains challenge us and bring about his very presence and power in us. We typically want all of the benefits without any of the cost. I want you to begin to see and maybe consider with me, we need to change our thinking. I told you it was going to be really exciting, didn't I? You guys are just so quiet looking at me. I'm like, come on, who loves pain? I, when I first started hearing about this, and particularly about Dr. Brand's work, I remember we had a guy on our staff that I think he loved pain. It kind of made me nervous. I almost felt like he'd put his hand in the door and slam it. Just like, oh, that's so good. I got some pain. That's not what we mean. But what we mean to say is we are so pain kind of be resistant. We don't want to be near it. And yet God's saying, I made you to experience pain and experience joy. They walk together. You need to understand it's how I made you. It's how life is. We need to embrace it rather than hide from it. And make no mistake, our desire to live this way is a relatively recent event. Most of history, people have not thought this way, but we do today. 
Let me just show you, this is one prophecy. It's a prophecy from Zechariah, and in it, he's just spoken of what will happen to Jesus when he dies. It says that you scatter, that you basically strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. It's the idea that we all kind of lose our way. But then he describes what's going to happen with these believers. And this is what he says. I will put into the fire those people. I will refine them like silver and test them like gold. They will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say they are my people and they will say the Lord is our God. What do you see happening when we're in the midst of struggle? We call out to God. I wish I could tell you I call out to God in all the greatness of my yellow brick road. I do not. It is when there is pain and difficulty that I actually cultivate that movement towards him. And I know that's true of most of us. We want the outcome of what God gives in a godly life. We hate the process to get there. And yet Peter is saying to us there's something beautiful about this that we have become so pain averse we miss. Because suffering is central to the Christian story. It is. And I love this because it centrally reminds us, what, do you know what I do when I'm in the midst of pain? I ask for help. I call out to God. And by the way, this is not meant to be an individual task. Let me take you back to the foot. When the thumb is becoming inflamed, what's supposed to help? The other toes. Do you think you should walk through suffering alone? It's one of the saddest parts about the church, especially in our area. We've become so individualized in our faith. We miss the role of the body coming around us in difficulty. And yet that's what we're called to be and do. And you want to know part of the reason it doesn't happen? We hide pain and suffering. We pretend it's not real, and we ask people to either minimize it or be okay in the midst of us and not talk about it. But you know what? Suffering's meant to be part of life. It's a pain receptor, and life is both difficult and good. That's how life is. One of my favorite visuals from the Old Testament uh, that has become one that we find in archaeology regularly is the fact that God speaks of himself as one who gathers all of our tears up in bottles. And if you look to archaeology at the time of Israel's kind of high living, you'll find two little bottles in most homes because they captured tears of joy and tears of sorrow because they understood both are part of life that walk together and make the person whole. It's, it's beautiful, but it violates everything that we live for in the good, the good old yellow brick road that we want to live on. Now, Peter continues. He's already given us kind of the picture of the role, but he continues with something that I would say is highly contradictory to how we live today. He says, rejoice, rejoice. Rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. He's saying rejoice in suffering. Now, we can all cognitively go that, I understand that, but if we are honest, do we all agree that that seems kind of crazy to think that way in the way we live today? If someone rejoiced in their suffering, would you tell them, something's not right with you? And yet, that's what Peter's saying. Why? We have to ask why. What is it about this that makes it so significant? Let me take you just to one picture of this. Peter, being the one that writes it, will take it from a story in his life. 
In Acts chapter 5, the church is kind of growing and expanding. There's been a circumstance at the beginning of 5 that's brought this great fear of the Lord upon everybody. It says they want to be by the believers, but they're scared to come near them because they see the power and the presence of God. Out of that, we get to this moment. Peter, with other disciples, are walking around in Jerusalem, and God is healing people. He's telling them, go to the temple and go to the, the city and just begin to pray, begin to heal out of my power, God's telling him. So all this is happening so profoundly that people are looking just for Peter's shadow so that if they come across it, they believe God will heal him that way. And make no mistake, Peter and the, the rest of them are not thinking we did it. They're so clear that it's God's power and nothing to do with them, that it's about the resurrection, what Jesus has done. So they get some opposition. The church leaders, the synagogue leaders are not happy. They come and find Pete and the other guys, and they basically want to haul him off for questioning. And it tells us why they're unhappy. It actually says the religious leaders are jealous. Like they're jealous. And, and make no mistake, we all should take that as a caution. When God's moving in power, people in his church can become jealous instead of excited if they're not part of it or if it threatens their way of living. Like that's a side note, no extra charge. I'm just giving you this as a little benefit. But make no mistake, we want God to move, it's gonna upset us. And that's what happens here. Now this brilliant, brilliant rabbi speaks to them in the midst of it, Gamaliel. He says, hey, I just wanna, before you guys get all upset, let's be reminded of this. If God's not in it, eventually it'll fall off and it won't do it. It will not last, is what he's saying. But if God's in it and you try to fight it, you can't stop it. And then you're fighting with God. Bad idea. It's a wonderful statement. Should help all of us, even in our own struggles, when we get into those places of jealousy. Now, what follows, though, after they're talking about all this, they end up putting him in prison, and this angel of the Lord appears to them at night. So Peter and his buddies are in prison, and the angel lets them out. And then they say, go back and keep ministering and healing people. Now, wouldn't that be a great ending? It's pain-free, right? That's the way it should go, isn't it? I mean, come on, the resurrection happened. So again, they have this conversation. They end up going back. Even though they're gonna let him go, they're still upset with him. They say, don't do it again, and by the way, we're gonna flog you. So they beat them. And make no mistake, flogging is not like a little spanking. It's taking them within an inch of their life. They suffer dramatically. And guess what they do right after it? They go right back to doing what they were before. But it's what they say that really impacts me. The what they say in Acts 5 is so powerful. He says this, we count ourselves worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of Christ. In other words, we actually feel honor that we would be considered worthy of suffering. Now, come on, does that not mess with you? In the way we perceive faith, we talk often about people who disobey suffer. You follow Christ, it's all good. That is not true. There is something noble and worthy living in the sufferings of Christ and being taken out or offended or persecuted because of who he is. They embraced it. They didn't get angry at it. I mean, that's pretty amazing, isn't it? The whole perspective, there's joy in this. There's joy in suffering, and there's joy in actual having things go great. They have this different perspective. 
And this is not the only time it's stated. James, another early follower, says it this way. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Paul says it this way, that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. Do we all want to be people of character? Yes. Do we all want to be people of hope? Yes. How many of us would like to suffer to get there? Where's the yellow brick road to get me there pain-free? Yet pain is a part of what leads us to a different life. And make no mistake, it leads us to great things. What Peter's saying, what James says, what the prophet says, is that you and I become more like Christ through suffering. The pain causes us to rely, to depend, and to let those things that are not of him be burned out to change who we are. I I was thinking about this in my own life and the sufferings I have gone through. And then as a pastor, you know, I uniquely encounter sufferings of people much more than probably most other individuals just because you walk through a lot of stuff with people. I regularly see how God matures and grows people in the midst of it. And I know in my own life, I'd say I hated going through it, but I can't, I would never want to give up what I got through it. I wish I would grow through things being easy, but I don't. We're transformed through suffering. The pain signals to us what's not right in life. The pain signals to us our own struggles and insecurities. The pain signals to us our own sinfulness. The pain signals to us our own heartache. And God changes us in it. But make no mistake, suffering doesn't just transform. We discover God more deeply in suffering. I regularly see this in other lives, and I regularly experience it on my own. And it's one of the things in the midst of horrible things that go on, I celebrate getting to watch people find God in a deeper way. I have never seen God give a great answer to something that happens where I've gone, that was it, we needed that. But man, have I seen him show up and give his presence. And has that ever been better than the other? You bet. We discover him more. I want to walk closely with the Lord. You need to embrace pain. I want to discover who he is in a greater way. Suffering will be part of the prescription to get there. And let me take it one other place. How many of us want to see the church move in power in a time like this? Man, I'll, I'll, I'll put them both up for that one. I long to see that. You, you wonder why we don't move in power more? Because we try to live a pain-free life. There will be suffering, and God moves in power and suffering and independence. We wonder, why don't we see that? And I go, I don't think we're ready for it. I don't know if we're willing to live the kind of life that would call us to it. Because we want yellow brick road transformation. We want yellow brick road God to move in power. But God moves in power through detours and roadblocks and barriers and struggles. It is a different way of thinking. I don't think I can make you act differently, but if we can begin to ask the Lord to help us think differently and understand differently, then it can change. Suffering is at the heart of the Christian story. It's at the heart of the gospel. It's at the heart of who Jesus is and at the heart of every early follower of him. And we hear it over and over and over again. Paul says, I want to share in his sufferings that I will share in his glory. I want to live it like a badge of honor, not like a necessary evil. And make no mistake, transformation, connection, 
and power grow out of pain. Now I know this isn't a rah-rah message, but in some ways it's actually more of a rah-rah message than something that might you feel better for a little while. Because imagine if you and I embrace redemptive suffering. If we start to say it's not an odd thing that fiery ordeals would happen, but God meet us in them. It's not something that we're trying to answer and keep away from. It's saying whatever this life brings, as long as you would count me worthy to endure what you did, man, will life change. I will be transformed. That testing will change who I am. And guess what? I will discover God in a way I never have before in deepening that. And boy, guess what? The church will begin to experience power we're not feeling right now or finding because we keep trying to find the path of least pain and least resistance. Suffering is central to the Christian story. I want to finish just by praying because I don't have an answer. Here's three simple steps. I don't even have one simple step. I just have honesty. And I know for me the honesty is God help me. Because, man, I really like to be pain-free. I don't even really understand what it means to actually find it a worthy cause to suffer. But I want to. And I don't want to sacrifice what I could have for my comfort. Those are the kind of things I think we need to pray. So let's, let's pray together. God, I am asking you to move. I asked at the beginning, what's from you? Bring life. What I've said, if it confuses, let it fall to the ground. Lord, we want to be your people. We say, God, we don't understand what it means to be counted worthy of sharing in your suffering, but we want to. So not only are we saying lead us and show us, but give us grace to embrace and find what this truth is. God, would you move to transform us that we'll be increasingly maturing like Jesus through the power of your spirit? Would you help us to embrace those things that we find difficult, that when we hear, feel, see pain, instead of hiding or medicating, help us walk to and ask, what do you want to do in this? God, we're praying that we will find you in deeper ways, that for those here, for those online, Lord, as we reflect where we are suffering or are struggling, will you reveal yourself, that we would deepen our walk and our relationship with you, that would deepen our understanding of you. And God, finally, I am praying that we will see an increase of power through our increase of surrender, that you would move in powerful ways as we say we'll embrace whatever you have to be whoever you want, to reach whoever you want, to bring about your kingdom in every way possible. God, move among us to that end in your name. Amen.